With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, you listen to podcasts in the car? Oh, yeah. I never, well, I never listen to music. When people ask me, where do people listen to podcasts? And when I, you know, the, the little research I've done on this... Uh, it, it's always cars. People always tell me cars and the gym. And obviously, people are much more in cars than in the gym. And so I think that is the primary. People have switched essentially from radio uh, and even like SM radio to podcasts. Yeah, no. Podcasts are the new radio. I I find uh, I don't drive that much, but uh, and I never go to the gym. So but I do listen to podcasts walking my dog. Okay. I don't walk a dog, drive a car, or go to the gym, and I don't listen to podcasts. (laughs) You just make them. Good or bad, cars, AJ, take it away. Yes. All right. Well, welcome. Uh, Good or bad, this is the show where we talk about a big topic and decide whether it's overall good for the world or bad for the world. And cars, that's a big one. Are cars the perfect metaphor for freedom? Are they what? America is all about, or are they uh, murderous, polluting beasts that are bringing on the climate apocalypse? Climate apocalypse, and then the evolution of cars will bring on kind of a massive depressionary unemployment crisis. Oh, I want to hear about that. So, that sounds so, fun. But, um, and then there's the safety factor. Are cars, you know, safe or unsafe? Do they lead to greater crime and so on? Right. And I want to be clear up front that I do have a pre-existing bias. uh, And I think you do too. So let's just get those out of the way. I grew up in New York City. And uh, so I I never really fell in love with cars. I'm a terrible driver. Uh, Recently, I was driving to my cousin's wedding and listening to an audio book about Albert Einstein. And I found Albert Einstein more interesting than than the road, so I kind of swerved, then I overcorrected, I jumped the highway median median into oncoming traffic, and miraculously no one was hurt. Uh, But that's the the key is what was the book on Albert Einstein? I want to read it now. (laughs) Oh, it's Walter Isaacson's biography. It's dangerous. Don't read it. It's so interesting. You don't. I I don't listen to audio books. You don't? No. What do you do? I read them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. well, that's impressive. Uh, oh, but but to, to your point, though, you said you were a bad driver. Yeah. I also say I'm a bad driver. But, you know, n- um, nine out of ten people, and this is this is the research, nine out of ten people say they're an above-the-median driver. And there's something called illusory superiority. So everybody thinks that in their given field, they're above average. So professors are notorious, actually. Uh, professors surveyed, 94% think they're 
have think they have a higher IQ than their peers. So, but <laughs> but there's that. this cognitive bias that you think you're kind of better than you are. And so, and driving is also really bad for us. Everyone says, oh yeah, I'm a really great driver. I know I'm a bad driver. Like I will kill people behind this two ton, 60 mile per hour weapon <laughs> if I'm in charge of it. <laughs> so what is, do you drive a lot? Do you? Uh, I don't drive at all. I, I had a license. Uh, I lost it in 2002. And uh, I've driven a little since then, of, illegally. Uh, and, you know, when I've tried to get a license, it is so, the, the, the DMV offices are so behind the times that it's, there's no, it's all like paper. I've had to, I've been to five different offices in four different states to kind of rectify some problems I had. And there's just no way to do it. Like, I cannot get a license just because of the sheer bureaucracy. It would be like a full-time job for me to try to get a license. <laughs> and not, <laughs> and not that I want one, actually. Right. I, I was going against my will. I, I don't want one. Well, are, are we allowed to know what happened in 2002? Yeah, it was nothing. I, um, I was in Connecticut, and there was like a stop. So I was like midnight coming back from a friend's house, and there was a stop sign uh, 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 hidden by bushes, and I went past it. And the cop pulled me over and he's like, sorry about this. And and then that would have been it. I could have just paid and kept my license. But I'm really bad at paperwork and follow-up, as everybody who works with me knows. And I just never paid that fine until 15 years later. And, you know, so my, then my license was suspended. Then they kept finding older and older, uh, you know, speeding tickets that I never paid the fines for. And so Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, nobody communicates with each other. There's, I have to, if, for in order for me to get a license now, I have to get letters from all these states. And then I have to start from scratch, like taking the driver's test, taking the, the written exam, the driving exam. And I'm just not going to do whatever. Because also, I'm a bad driver. I've been, <laughs> I've been in accidents ever since I was 17 years old. Uh, can I tell you one story? Quick story. Uh, hell yeah. One time I was visiting my dad in New Jersey in the hospital. He was in a coma after a stroke. Mm. And I was driving illegally, of course. Uh, so I was driving home from there and I was a little disoriented and I saw up in front of me a police barricade for some reason. And I got I got really paranoid. I thought they're gonna catch me driving without a license. I'm gonna go to jail. So I quickly made a right turn. And all of these police officers started running after me like, hey, hey, stop, stop. And I stopped. And the police officer looked in and said, uh, do you realize you're going the wrong way down a one-way road? And I said, oh, I'm really sorry. I, I just got lost. And he said, well, let me see your license. And I said, uh, I left it at home. I'm sorry. I was visiting my dad. In the I used my dad as an excuse. And then he said, well, let me see. He said, you've got to be kidding me. You're driving the wrong way down a one-way road. <laughs> you you don't have your license. Let me see your, you know, whatever, registration and permit. And it was my ex-wife's car. So it was in her name. And he's he's like, he's hitting his head. He's like, you have got to be kidding me. You're driving the wrong way down a one-way road. You don't have a license. And this is not your car. <laughs> And then he said, you know what? Just go. I cannot deal with this right now. And then I still was lost. So I turned around and I said, excuse me, can you just give me directions how to get back to New York State? And he's just, he's like, you, you stop it. Just get out of here. <laughs> 
So if you're going to break the law, break a lot of laws so it's too much. Give them too much paperwork. All right. I love that. That's a very useful life hack. Uh, That is funny. Uh, You know, one more life hack. I'm sorry. If you are stopped for a speeding ticket, you and I were just talking about a mutual friend of ours, Joey Coleman, who won that speaking contest. Joey Coleman gave me this advice, uh, which is that if you were, and he's uh, a lawyer, ex-lawyer, ex-FBI. He said, if you're stopped for a speeding ticket, you, he almost always gets out of it uh, by just saying he complies with everything. He's really nice. Uh, you know, you keep your hands on the wheel. You, you, you respond to everything that the officer says. Uh, don't admit guilt, but don't deny it, whatever. And But then he says, say to the officer, look, I just need to inform you by law that I am going to contest this in court. <laughs> and the police officer, the worst thing you can do to a police officer is make them stay off the road and hang out in a court. So the police officer usually just gives them a warning after that. Really? Yeah. That's his life hack. Interesting. Now he is a white man, so we got to keep that. Right, right. We don't know if, if in any other context. Right. But I have never had the uh, cojones to do that. And he flashes his old FBI badge. That must help. Well, there you go. (laughs) I got to get one of those. Um, They're for sale. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess so. Everything is. Uh, speaking of stop signs, uh, I this is how I know I'm a bad driver is sometimes I will stop at a stop sign and wait for it to change. And like, <laughs> and then it'll be like three minutes and I'm like, oh, it's not. I mean, it'll rust eventually, but that's going to be like 50 years. Do you think that's a mental deficiency? That sounds like more than just being a bad driver. <laughs> like something you're making a... You know, it's always a question about whether certain types of mental illness are superpowers because they allow you to think outside of the box or if they're actually uh, problems that are need to be dealt with. Like you you connected the dots in this strange way between traffic lights and stop signs and your brain would not uh, dissuade you. Yeah. No, it was, it was a category error. Yeah. And I would say it. I'm sure it represents something deeper. Uh, so yeah, I'm just, I'm glad for America that I rarely drive. Well, and at least you do not fall for the cognitive bias of illusory superiority. No, which I've also heard called the Lake Wobegon effect because everyone in Lake Wobegon is above average. Garrison Keillor, right? Exactly. I would recommend we start with the good of cars. Cars have lots of good things. And they're totally correlated. With, this is a, an obvious thing, so it's not part of the good, but they're totally correlated with economic development in countries as people transport things faster and right. more and more uh, You have companies have more uh, a much bigger labor pool because it's not just who's a few blocks away, it's who's within 100 miles. So. Right. Yeah, they are, they are all about, they are definitely contributing to the economy of the world until the economy totally crashes because of the climate apocalypse. Or because of cars. But there are plenty of good things. Uh, Here, let me just start with a couple random ones. One, now I don't feel this, but the joy of driving. Some people just love the pleasure of getting behind a wheel. And I found this quote, this goes back a long way. 1900, there was a an automotive magazine, and uh, the writer said, it is recognized that the main excuse for speed mania is the desire to feel new sensations and to prevent the emptiness of a purposeless life. 
So I thought that was a lovely little quote. Now, when they, they did Speed Mania in 1900, literally we're talking five miles an hour. But uh, but for them, that was exciting. And let me ask you, because I, I, I love that quote, and I you and I both probably don't relate to it, but I could see why people would relate to it because it was such a new experience. At that time, wasn't there a fear of a speed limit on the human body that mm. if a car went a certain speed, that could be bad. Uh, maybe this was more related to planes, but I thought even with cars, they thought uh, uh, if 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 cars increased to a certain speed, that the human body wouldn't be able to handle it. That's fascinating. I actually heard a very interesting interview with the editor of Car and Driver magazine. He was on the How Do We Fix It podcast, and he was like raving about how driving is the best part of his day and how the ability to drive long distances is linked to American exceptionalism because we all come up with our best ideas while driving. Um, And I looked into it. Gertrude Stein did say that she came up with her best ideas while driving. She would drive around farms and look at cows. Okay, well, let me ask you a serious question about this then. Yeah. What was Gertrude Stein's best idea? A rose is a rose is a rose. Really? That's her? Isn't that her? I don't know. Let's see. Maybe. I'm not I'm not I'm not sure she's known for her great ideas. <laughs> like like most writing I've read from her is not my favorite. Rose is a rose is a rose is yeah. a rose. There you go. Four roses. I only thought it was three. See, she's like more of a genius than I ever I know, thought. Four is much That's like twenty five percent more ingenious than it's like Jane Austen did three roses, but who would have thought of four? <laughs> uh, wait, I have. And don't you think most people come up with great ideas? Like in the in in the shower is a known place where people come up with great ideas. Well, we've talked about this because I that doesn't work for me. I have to, inspired by you partly, uh, carve out fifteen minutes a day just for idea generation, just for brainstorming. That's do smart. you still do that? Yeah, absolutely, every yeah. day. But do you also come up with ideas in the car or in the shower? Well, I'm never in a car, well, except an Uber. <laughs> what about a shower? Um, We're hoping. But shower, yeah, definitely. Oh. But but I but the, I don't consider them done ideas as in terms of ideation until I've written them down. So I write down ten ideas a day as a practice every day. I love that. Uh, and by the way, I also remember more recently than Ger- maybe this is more impressive to you than Gertrude Stein, Stephen Colbert. Uh, I heard an interview with him, and he talked about how uh, the network offered him a car service because he lives in New Jersey, and he said no because he finds that driving is when he comes up with his best ideas. There's something about your your conscious mind is is uh, involved with making sure you don't crash, and it releases the non-conscious mind. Obviously, it works for some people. Not us. Well, well, um, Howard Stern, this is related to this. Howard Stern has said he has a driver take him to work, and he lives, I guess, in Long Island, or he did when he wrote this, that he meditates on his commute. So there's diff- different things to, to do on your commute. Podcast, idea generation, meditation if you have a driver. Yeah, don't meditate if you are driving. That would be my suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> At least not the closing your eyes sort of meditation. Yeah, exactly. Keep your eyes open. Uh all right. Well, uh, I have another positive. Do you have one you want to throw in or you want me to? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, cars allow us 
to have more opportunities in life. You can drive from New York to California in three or four days. You can take jobs that are a hundred miles or more away from your home. So, you, so instead of living in a, in an urban city mm-hmm. uh, where you're tightly packed in with you know millions of others, and there's potential for more crime and and less space for your family and no yards, you could live in a home with a nice yard. You know, every every family with an acre, sort of saying. And um, uh, uh, so there, there's. You, you can argue cars have increased to a quality of lifestyle. I think that's also the bad, which we can get to later. But uh, cars have definitely increased opportunities for both the worker and the employer in terms of, like I said earlier, having a, a higher uh, pool to draw upon. And yeah, I know I agree. I mean, I think you you touch on two things there, Tim, because uh, there's the freedom. So you have much more freedom where you live. And without cars, you wouldn't have the suburbs, which, of course, the suburbs have their good and bad parts. But but I would argue, by the way, the good and bad of cars, the good and bad of the good and bad of suburbs, ha- the good and bad of suburbs has to be discussed because suburbs are intimately connected to cars. Yeah, I think for I think sure. I think what's interesting here is kind of the good of cars is almost sort of obvious, creates opportunities, is fun to some extent. Is it allows for also greater um, choice. So you, you can, instead of going to your grocery store across the street, you can go to the grocery store of the mall 10 miles away and you can have greater choice of goods that you buy. So this, this has a deflationary effect on the economy when you have more choice and that in general is good for the economy as well. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of, I think people just assume there's a lot of goods. This two, that's why there's 268 million cars on the road in the U.S., million cars sold last year. Uh, In general, it's not like people are saying cars are bad and they're avoiding them. Everybody's got a car. Everybody's got two cars. But I do think you touched on a a great point, which is the freedom. I think that is the central metaphor of American cars, this idea of freedom, being able to go when you want, where you want. I found an Elon Musk quote about why he thinks cars are great and public transportation in his words, sucks. Uh, So let me just read that real quick. I think public transport is painful. It sucks. Why why do you want to get on something with a lot of other people that doesn't leave where you want? I'm sorry, that doesn't leave where you want it to leave, doesn't start where you want it to start, doesn't end where you want it to end, and it doesn't go all the time. It's a pain in the ass. That's why everyone doesn't like it. And there's a bunch of random strangers, one of whom might be a serial killer. And so that's why people like individualized transport. Yeah, I I don't know because the benefits of the bus is that people who aren't in on one extreme billionaires like Elon Musk or even, you know, middle class workers, people who are more um impoverished have a chance to have the same opportunities that people with cars have. So I can still live in the suburbs but take yeah. a bus. When I first working in New York City, I lived with my parents for for only a week or two in New Jersey, but I took a bus into work because I wasn't going to drive a car. I was thinking this idea of freedom and cars, it's inspired so much music and art. I mean, it's so American. Uh, You've got Bruce Springsteen, my wife's favorite singer. Uh, Yeah, Bruce has just so many great car and driving songs. Uh, Here's one. I'll just read you a stanza from his Cadillac ranch. Eldorado fins, white walls and skirts, rise just uh, like a little bit of heaven here on earth. 
Well, buddy, when I die, throw my body in the back and drive me to the junkyard in my Cadillac. That's beautiful. Yeah. But I did learn this in, uh, in Vanity Fair. He talks about how he actually was not a good driver and didn't get his driver's license until he was in his 20s. So you and him have a lot in common there. Well, you know, the other thing is, and and Bruce Springsteen is, is it's interesting you bring up, he's very much a voice of, let's call it the American working class and you know, an American from born in the USA, but working class from stand, from many of his songs and, and his background and trucks. I mean, tr- you know, truck driving, which is a, trucks are a kind of car has vastly improved the economy because it allows you to transport goods from coast to coast. Uh, uh, it employs three and a half million workers, plus probably an additional five to 10 million who uh, work in truck stops, motels, and so on along the way. So it's probably about 12 million people overall in the in the U.S. relating who, who are employed because of the trucking industry, not to mention all the benefits we get from um, the, the, this is the most, economical uh transportation of of goods that's why you know walmart is fully stocked all the time as opposed to only going to your local mom and pop grocery store which has its ups and downs but overall it's allowed us to to feed a lot more people so i mean again for the economy cars trucks everything seems to be directly correlated to the growth in the american economy which is the largest economy in the world despite being only three percent of the world's population right I mean, I remember when I was doing my book on the origins of coffee, I spent some time with truckers, and uh, it really changed my mind because when I when I do drive and a truck passes by me, I'm always like pissed off. It's like, oh, you guys, what is so annoying? They're going to drive me off the road. But if I want my coffee, then I better be thankful for trucks. Yeah, and and you know. Again, it's so natural to come up with the 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 goods, uh, the, the good things about cars and and automa- and and automotives, that it almost seems contrarian to come up with the the bad. But the bad is very important because I think it's also moving more into the front page of the news. What the the in in a variety of ways, whether it's climate or economy or you know electric cars and so on. It's it's starting to be part of the national debate, whereas it never was before, really. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't like cars were controversial. But I do feel that swinging that way, like cars yes. are in trouble. Cars and what else? What else is on? Cars and vaping. Like but, those, are yes. both, those are both getting but, some but the bad, bad press. The bad has not yet outweighed the good in the public, in the public eye, just because, again, 6.3 million cars sold last year. Right. Everyone drives except you and me. And and a few others in New York City and, and other cities. Right. Can I give two more positives about yes. cars? And then we will start to trash them, which uh, I always enjoy. Uh, I mean, one, historically, cars helped usher in the sexual revolution. Uh, even the Apparently, there were two t- sexual revolutions, one in the 20s and one in the 60s. So I it really, know this. Yeah, that's what, it, that's what my research turned up. Uh, and yeah, the one in the twenties was definitely all about cars and uh, you know going to uh, neck and giving you a place to do your thing. And uh, and actually, if driverless cars take off, that is going to be like usher in the new 
revolution for sex and cars because you don't have to drive you can have sex all the time like you can in your your, car in your car and bmw uh i googled sex and cars uh and uh some interesting stuff came up but relevantly bmw has a new ad strongly hinting that in car sex like if you buy their driverless cars in the future you'll get to have sex with a hot woman or a hot man (laughs) well i think a lot of car ads are like that like you see the car you know zipping along the highway you know dust flying out and then some beautiful woman or you know some beautiful guy with a beautiful woman get out of the car and so there's this impression that if you get their car you're going to be having you know more more luck you know with with your relationships absolutely (laughs) i think that is the central thesis to most car ads this one is just a little more on point in that you will get to not only have sex but have sex in the car you know uh i wonder if there'll be built-in beds in automated cars just like right now the biggest car in the world is they they retrofitted this uh uh el dorado cadillac i guess uh it has it's so big, it's ridiculous. I forget how many feet it is big, but it has a, a helipad in the back. You can land a helicopter on the car. There's a jacuzzi, and it requires two drivers. Come on. Who, where, who has it? Like a Saudi sheik or something? I don't know. I saw, I saw a picture of it parked in New York City, so I don't know who has it. <laughs> All right. We got to go riding on that. That sounds excellent. All right. And then uh, finally, I think... Uh, it not only gives people joy to drive cars, it gives them joy to own them and work on them. And I found this quote by uh, Roland Barthes, the French author. And he said, this was a a couple decades ago, but he said, I think cars today are the exact equivalent of the great Gothic cathedrals, the supreme creation of an era conceived with passion by unknown artists, consumed in image, if not usage, by whole populations, which appropriate them as a purely magical object. So he's saying cars are the Gothic cathedrals of the, of, uh, the present. Well, think about the, the image of the 50s teenager, the James Dean style teenager. Mm. You know, you always picture them, you know, sleeves rolled up, working on their car. You know, it was considered like a... a coming of age when a man learns how to fix fix the car fix his car now of course cars are computerized basically a car is a big computer with a car app in it right <laughs> and that's what a car is and you know my my worry there this is neither good or bad this is just a worry but you know how phones like it used to be a car you could say my car has been around 20 years and you know you just keep fixing it and fixing it but i'm worried with these computerized cars you can't really fix them because they're so sophisticated. And I'm worried they have an expiration date just like phones mm-hmm. have been known to have. Like when the next version comes out, uh, your car dies. Now, technology is such that, for instance, with a Tesla, you can get an update now on your car over the air. Mm-hmm. Like they'll wirelessly send you a, an update, but maybe not in all, all cases. I'm, I'm worried about that a little bit with the rise from the classic you know, mechanical car that, that any teenager could fix to these computerized cars where you have to be essentially an AI engineer to, to fix it. <laughs> that is fascinating because I, I just listened to an interesting interview uh, with someone from the right to repair movement, and it's exactly what you're talking about. Now, uh, technology, including cars, is so complicated, you can't just break it apart and 
He's like, so we ditch it and it becomes e-trash and, uh, and you just get a new one. So there's a whole movement of people who say, you got to make the screws easier. You've got to uh, sell spare parts because it's better for everyone. It's better for the environment. You save money. It's not better for the companies that can sell you a new gadget every uh, six months, but everyone else it's good for. But but I think I think we're kind of in this transition period because what's going to happen is the the days of like our grandchildren are going to say to us, I can't believe you owned a car. Like mm. there's not going to be car. The days of car ownership are probably going away and they'll probably be just robot cars that uh, it's just this massive uh, sort of car on demand. You know, you know, right now, uh, 96% of the time ca- cars, these 268 million cars are vacant. Mm. So, but there'll come a time with the automation of cars where a car will drop you off at work, then go and pick up someone who needs a car, drop them off at the school, go to the next person, drop them off at the gym or whatever. And, you know, cars will not be owned by any one person, but, you know, just kind of this mass, uh, uh, you know, a much smaller car, much fewer cars on the road, but providing as many services and nobody needs to own them. Right. Which I think, again, of course, good and bad, but overall good. I think the sharing economy, like I'm too old, so I get annoyed about sharing things. <laughs> and I always, you know, I'm a total hypocrite because I always tell my kids, oh, you know, sharing is the most important thing and I fucking hate to share. So, uh, uh, but I think you're right. That is the future of cars and it's probably overall a good thing. Probably, although uh, there is the counter argument, and like you said, there's always good or bad. There's the counter argument, and we'll, we'll I think we'll get to this more fully. But many people will lose their jobs. The car industry mm. is a you know hundred billion dollar, or sorry, just the trucking industry is like a hundred billion dollar industry. Car industry is much bigger, and a significant part of GDP has to be uh, will disappear and needs to be figured out. As cars, uh, you know, maybe we'll get one fifth the amount of cars on the road, and much, and no need for car drivers anymore. No need for many people related to the car industry. So I think, you know, the world's going to change, both good and bad. Companies will be more efficient, but but perhaps tens of millions of people will be out of a job, starting with you know three and a half million truck drivers in the next few years. Yeah. Well, hopefully, we'll have the universal basic income, uh, and uh, we'll all live lives of pursuing our hobbies and uh surfing and uh doing vr uh, <laughs> that may not happen but that is that's the hope you mentioned teens and the, the idea of everyone working on their car and i think that relates to this idea of custom cars which gives people so much pleasure and if you google custom cars uh weirdest custom cars now it's it is just a fantastic image. Really? What's the weirdest custom car you saw? Um, well, there was a Kiss-themed one, like a huge Gene Simmons tongue coming out of the hood. There was a, a Zeus, like a Dr. Zeus car, a Zeus car. Oh, my God. That must be great. There was a Hummer with a tank treads. So if it wasn't military enough now. But people, love, you know, it's an expression of individuality. It's like, And it's also a way to... Uh, uh, a way to say what tribe you're part of you know if you have a uh <clears throat> if you have a tesla you're part of one tribe if you have a you know a 
Subaru, you're part of another tribe. And and I guess there's this element to your to your point. There's this element of design and art that's probably going to go away as we standardize automated cars, because you know some people like the design, almost liquidy feel of a of a Porsche. Mm. Porsche. Some people like you know the more blockish American cars. Some people like uh, Rolls Royce. Or for instance, you know if you look at the yellow cabs in today's New York. Uh, I really appreciate the design now of 1960s yellow caps. Like, I think they're beautiful. Which were those? The checker ones? Yeah. Oh, yeah, those were nice. Yeah. Did you ever ride those? Are you old enough? I, I wrote, there were, there were in, in the 90s, there were two still legal checker caps in New York, and I rode in one of them. Did you use the, uh, the rumble seat or whatever it was called? Oh, I don't remember that. They had a stool that you would, that was like a fold out stool and, so you could sit on that instead of... Kind of like the London cabs now. Oh, is that what they have now? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it seemed incredibly dangerous, but uh, yeah. but back then, no one cared. Uh, all right, well, so, yeah, cars are fantastic. End of episode. But, but uh, wait, wait, wait we, haven't, we haven't done the bad. Oh, I was just kidding. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the bad. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs. And I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house... I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. 
ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. There's an intermediate though too. Which what is that? The intermediate is cars cause extra human deaths, right? So I think ten years ago, I don't. I, ten years ago, there was about a million deaths a year around the world. Uh, maybe uh, sixty thousand or so deaths a year in the U.S. from car accidents. But mm-hmm. that number has been going steadily lower year over year since they. Um, uh, made it, a, 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 since the laws requiring people to use seatbelts. So seatbelts do save lives. Yes, I <laughs> so, would agree so, with that. So there was only, I think, 33,000 deaths, you know, motor vehicle deaths last year in the U.S., down from like 60,000. And it's all ever since they mandated that everyone must uh, put on their seatbelt. The reason I put this in the intermediate carry between good or bad is that deaths are going down. And so potentially they could hit zero but i think what's going to happen is uh, uh automated cars are going to be so sophisticated that i do believe that evidence shows that if we can perfect these driverless cars then accidents will go way down but that's going to be a hard sell to people i think because you know the first any time that there's a, a you know, anytime a, a self-driving car slams into a lamppost, that's front page news. Whereas the 5,000 car accidents a day, no one pays attention to. But I think that's part of the transition of any uh, any new technology. Right. Like if, if there was credit card identity theft in 1997 from, the, from an e-commerce store that was front page news. Now, of course, it's an everyday event, but it's not news you know billions of dollars are transacted every day on the on the internet so it's just part of the transition that we'll focus on it for a while then people will realize oh this is pretty good suddenly everyone's using automated cars it won't be news anymore right i'm with you and, and by the way they will you could just they'll be able to compare the numbers statistically thirty thousand deaths versus 12 deaths <laughs> right um but i did actually look up the history of car accidents i mean first of all this is from a new yorker article The article, by the way, is called Was the Automotive Era a Terrible Mistake? And Oh, great, great article for this podcast. There you go. (laughs) And because, you know, the answer the answer was not like, nope, it was all wonderful. It was like, yes, it was probably a terrible mistake. Why? Well, for all these reasons we're about to tell you. Um, I mean, one is, of course, the deadliness. Since eighteen ninety nine, 
uh, more than three and a half million people have died in traffic accidents in the United States and 80 million have been injured. I mean, that is a really remarkable statistic. What's the worst accident you've been in? Uh, well, it was that one where I jumped the median, but actually, but no one got hurt. No one got hurt. Some guy rammed me from behind, uh, and uh, I broke my finger. So nothing too bad. What Did about you? Did you sue for billions because you're a writer? <laughs> <laughs> and what about what about you? Your worst car accident? I was uh, 18. I had I was coming back from a chess lesson, meaning I was very popular with girls in my high school, <laughs> and uh, I I had. Just for the first time, beaten my chess instructor. I remember the game to this day. I had a beautiful queen sacrifice. Even he was surprised. He was the U.S. champion a year later. And I was driving home. I was thinking about it. Went right through a stop sign. Hit a station wagon driven by a guy who was in his 60s. I was 18. And uh, we both twirled around and around and around. We all there was It was on a corner in an intersection. All four fences of the four houses on that corner were all smashed somehow by our cars. I went through the window and broke the window, and he, but I ended up somehow without a scratch. Like I bounced back into the car. The car was smashed to pieces, but I had zero injuries. And the other guy, unfortunately, uh, broke his leg. And, um, you know, I was, I was very regretful and, and, you know, basically very rarely drove ever again after that <laughs> and did you have to pay him like a million insurance companies paid but yeah we had to go to court and everything oh really yeah and was he was he forgiving or he was like you are... no after the court uh case we noticed he followed us all the way home to see where we lived and then drove off <laughs> that's scary yeah it was a little scary so we drove around the block a few times because we noticed him following us my father was driving and then eventually went home and he whizzed off huh so, wow, that's that's disturbing. But I do feel bad about it. It was completely my fault. Uh, all right. Well, I think he's probably dead now. So, yeah, so it's thirty <laughs> years later, thirty some years later. Yeah, you're fine. I did in my research read about the first fatal car accident, which I thought was very interesting. 1869. It was a steam-powered vehicle, steam-powered car. And the victim was thrown from the car. Her name was Mary Ward, and the tire ran over her neck, and she died. But she was a fascinating character. She was a scientist, a female scientist in England, and very successful. Um, and trivia, fun fact, she is the great-grandmother of Lala Ward, who played Time Lord Ramona on Doctor Who, and is also the ex-wife of Richard Dawkins. Oh, my gosh. So there you go. Well, I do think that we underestimate just how dangerous cars are. I mean, we all know it. But I remember after 9-11, and everyone was afraid of flying. And uh, I believe it was in Nassim Taleb's book where he tried to calculate how many more people were killed because they all started driving instead of flying and driving is infinitely more dangerous than flying, even after 9-11. So uh, we're totally irrational and underestimate how deadly these things are. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's Nassim Taleb or Freakonomics. It might have been in the book Super Freakonomics that 9-11 uh, uh, ended up with more indirect 
car deaths because people stop flying and the, and the death rate on planes is much is much lower. You're absolutely right. It was Freakonomics. Um, so sorry. Sorry, Stephen. And sorry, sorry, Nassim. Uh, so what should we go on to? The bad and the ugly. Well, that was kind of bad, like killing three and a half million people. But yes, but, but we'll do even more. Bad. But I do think I do think the rise in automated cars. We're seeing evidence, even with this first wave of technology, that those deaths can quickly go to you know tri- trivial amounts. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That is one of the great promises. Um, but you are going to get a lot of pushback from the from traditionalists who were for a while. Yeah, like any transition. Right. Uh, but I'm with you overall. All right. So now some other bads or, uh, yeah. So here are, I mean, pollution, like end of the world, apocalyptic climate change and cars are one. There are many culprits, but cars are up there. Cars right. So, up. so cars account for about 20% of the world's car carbon emissions and other types of emissions that affect the environment and you know whether or not uh you know you're a believer or a disbeliever in climate change at the very least cars and the 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 output from these internal combustion engines and and fossil fuels and so on increase to create you know massive pollution in cities uh and it's not just carbon emissions it's also uh when cars hit the road they're heavy enough that it sprays dirt and you know uh, parts of the road everywhere in minuscule amounts that that also hit the environment. So, so is that bad for the lungs? Is that the problem? Yeah. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah, I got my research said in America it's seventeen percent of our total greenhouse gas emissions. So uh, it's not everything. You've also got cattle and planes and uh, all sorts of other uh, problems. But if you eliminate cars, you'll you'll be taking a step in the right direction. And you, you know what's interesting there too what? is if you live in a suburb, you have a bigger carbon footprint, which means the amount of carbon emissions you're accountable for than if you live in a city. In part because if you live in a suburban area, you're driving a lot more. Mm. I know that makes me feel superior. The downside for you is that you live in close proximity to probably you know a thousand rats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. As long as you don't see them. Yeah. Um, but I do see them. I see them in the subway all the time. Oh, yeah, kind of scurrying on the on yeah. the tracks. I find it's a good exercise in reframing because I'm just like, it's wildlife. You know, animals, they're just animals. And like, you know, and, and I have had lots of mice in my apartment and I try to reframe them as pets. Like, oh, they're just pets that I don't have to feed. How do you reframe cockroaches? Also very small pets. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you that you could do that. It's um, not successful, but, but I try. But, but uh, <laughs> related to this and related to the environment, although I want to hit the pollution thing again, is uh, you know the rise in cars is directly correlated to the rise in suburbs. Mm. So because now you can, again, as we stated before, you could drive 30, 40 miles comfortably to work. You don't have to live in the city. It used to be if you couldn't work in New York City if you lived in Trenton, New Jersey, for instance, which is 70 miles away. But uh, with the rise of cars, you can potentially commute from large distances. And um, this has this has actually damaged the environment in interesting ways, which is that you cut down these forests, the wildlife has to find somewhere to... So you destroy these huge 
areas of land, you know, hundreds or thousands of square miles around every major city uh, where wildlife could no longer live because people put their fake lawns and their swimming pools and their big McMansions and, you know, for mile after mile. And uh, there's no real coordinated public transportation system because everything is is spread out so far. So you need cars and, and you need larger plots of land. And, you know, so again, you bring up wildlife, reframing that as New York City wildlife, but wildlife in general has been, and, and, and that related to the environment, it's not only pollution, it's kind of the natural um, uh, indigenous species of every area, suburban area is gone because of, of cars. By the way, this brings up a little point. Uh, I want to pay tribute to my family because my grandfather was actually a, a transportation rebel he was a lawyer in new york and he was very much this was like 30 years ago he was in favor of congestion pricing and he wanted the subways to be free he wrote our uh op-eds in the new york times advocating free subways as a civil right which probably could have been paid for by congestive congestive pricing that was his argument and some people hate congestion pricing so i apologize on behalf of my grandpa to them but i do think It'd be interesting to see if his system would work better. It might. And 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 again, it's not off the table with the rise in automated cars because mm. they'll just automatically pay to pay, and they'll know because they're all communicating with each other. They'll know when there's congestion or not mm. in, in ways that we won't necessarily, humans won't necessarily know. So it wouldn't be based on the the district. It would be based on whether you're in traffic. Yeah. Oh, so it'd be kind of a dynamic pricing based on actual congestion. I didn't know. I love it. I want to mention on the environment, originally cars were great for the environment because it, particularly in urban areas and, and uh, uh, there was horse manure in the streets. The, the big environment, the global warming of 1900 was the fact that, and this was talked about also in su- su- Super Freakonomics, the, bi- the, the, the global warming of 1900 was the fact that there was you know, two or three feet of horse manure every day left on the streets of New York City. And they were starting to figure out how are we going to shovel all of this away every single day? And they thought that within 10 years, New York City would basically collapse because of... Under of, the weight of manure. Essentially, yeah. That there would be so much manure, it would be New York City would be unlivable and unworkable. And cars, it, it goes to show you that we sometimes don't always know the solutions to complicated problems. So the solutions we're thinking of now for, for major societal problems might completely change by inventions over the next five to 10 years. But cars eliminated that entire problem. Right, and caused other unintended consequences. But yeah, that is, I do remember reading about the, like the chin-high walls of horse manure on the streets of New York. It is just mind-boggling. If you traveled back 100 years, can you imagine what New York smelled like? It's just, you know, there are problems with New York, but I am thankful it is not the literal shit show that it used to be. Exactly. Um, And it's interesting. I looked into this a little because I wanted to know, are horses or cars better for the environment? And I found one source. It was uh, the Science Museum, the Exploratorium. And it talked about if you have one horse with one rider and one car with one rider. Horses are actually worse in terms of greenhouse emissions because you've got to feed the horse and the horse burps and farts and 
and all that. So, uh, so if cars were never invented and everyone had their own horse, we would still be screwed greenhouse emission wise. If you start adding people into the cars, so if you have two people in a car, cars are actually more efficient uh, greenhouse wise than uh, than horses and three and four. So yeah, cars redeem themselves if you have more people in them. But I think this all lends into we're kind of on the tail end of kind of you know s- cars that we drive and we're on the beginning of an era where uh first there's going to be you know our cars we're going to buy a tesla and it's going to be automated but then there's going to be just robot cars that we don't own that are driving us around and on the one hand th- you know probably those are going to be electric or hybrid so there's not going to be as much you know fossil fuels and carbon emissions going into the air there's arguably arguably going to be other environmental issues like the the cost of creating a heavier battery will make use of fossil fuels, you know, at wherever they at the plant, and so that it's unclear the the environmental changes. But it seems like electric cars will be better for the environment, which is why people are buying hybrids right now and Teslas and so on. Uh, and then also those cars will be heavier, so potentially more damage to the roads, and again spitting up bad dust for the environment. But uh, so. And with automated cars, it could be better for uh, psych- psychology. Like you'll be able to sleep in the back of your car or read or whatever while you're commuting 90 miles to work. You could potentially have a longer commute. So uh, we didn't mention that the longer the commute is reversely correlated to happiness. Mm. So the longer you commute to work, potentially the unhappier you are. But that statistic might change if you're just sleeping in the back of your car because it's an automated car. Um, and... Uh, I we t- we talked a little bit about automated cars, but then there's the the economic advantage is that hundreds of billions of dollars in efficiencies will be created as trucks are automated. So you don't have to you know trucks stop every eleven hours, so the truck drivers could rest. With automated trucks, they'll never stop. <laughs> You'll get your goods that much faster. Uh, the, the estimate is it'll save about one hundred twenty billion dollars in the trucking industry. Uh, and there'll be much fewer cars and trucks on the road, so that helps the environment and so on. But as mentioned before, there's so many people related to supporting, employed, supporting the trucking industry, including the truck drivers, that this could have a massive negative effect on the economy, despite these hundreds of billions of dollars in efficiencies. It's expected, and this is this is coming from Andrew Yang, he, he expects between three and three and a half million truck drivers could lose their jobs in the next five to 10 years. And these are people who, uh, most of them don't have a college degree. 94% are male and middle-aged and might not have the time to um, transition to to new, harder skills because there's no, not gonna be jobs opening up with equivalent skills. And he's worried this could be, you know, massive revolution because uh, this could be the start of it. Yeah, well, I think... I agree with him when he talks about how uh, most people in America are obsessed with immigration and how that's going to affect the job market. But uh, but automation is going to have a much bigger impact, and that's going to put out so many more people out of jobs. There are other equivalent things, though, like the rise of ATM machines. Everyone was worried there would be no more need for cashiers. Instead, the banks got so profitable because of ATM machines, there's now... They started introducing new services, and now you have a, a bank on every corner 
increasing the need for tellers. So it actually created more tellers, the rise of ATM machines, despite the fears. And of course, the downfall of horses, the rise of cars, all the people who drove horses were out of a job, but then they ended up driving cabs or whatever. Andrew Yang's point, I guess, is that truck drivers don't have an equivalent job market to go to. They, they truly will be unemployed, hence the need for his, his arguments, hence the need for uh, a, a UBI. I think it's unclear, but it's just that is a potential catastrophe of automated cars. But in general, whenever there's been huge efficiencies and increased productivity in the market, that's usually been a good thing for the economy. So, and it's created gaps that we weren't aware of where there would be need for employees, but it's unclear if we'll need any employees as automation increases, but that's kind of a, a topic for another good or bad, right. but specifically with cars, Andrew Yang's point is that the problems of automation will start with the rise of self-driving trucks. Mm. Yeah, no, that was, uh, that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Can I, before we wrap up, can I bring up one other negative of cars? Um, yes. And this is from an article in Vice. Uh, the writer made a, this point. And the article was, again, like, why I hate cars. And it was, I, it, as he put it, uh, cars turn you into assholes, which I think <laughs> is, a, is an interesting point. Because road rage is a real thing. Like, when someone cuts me off, I really get pissed off. And I think... Uh, a lot of it has to do with I can't see the other person's face. Like when you're in the sidewalk and someone accidentally cuts you off, you know, they you can turn they turn around and they shrug like sorry, you know. Or you or, or you get into a, a fist fight but you won't pull out a gun <laughs> and start shooting go. at cars on the LA highway. Uh but yeah, it's so impersonal. It's just this big hunk of metal and it brings out the worst in us. You know, to some extent, it's like a real life Twitter. Mm. So, but the benefit of Twitter is that, okay, in cars and cars on the highway and Twitter, everybody's anonymous. So you get this unusual rage that you wouldn't have, like you say, face to face. But on Twitter, I can't pull out a gun and shoot someone. But the problem with road rage is there actually is, you know, people kill each other. You can't, you can't kill someone through a tweet but with a car, you're, you're first off, you're driving in a, essentially a weapon, and you could have a weapon inside that weapon, you know, uh, it, as well. So I think um, I'm looking at yeah, the rise of road road rage incidents. I'm looking at a graph right now. Are year over year, it goes up every single year. So really, it's, yeah, it's in the it's not in the, it's not in the millions or the thousands, it's in the hundreds. But there was uh, basically 800 road rage incidents in 2017. I love that analogy that cars are like Twitter. It's like a live Twitter. But, but worse because <laughs> yeah. you can actually do physical damage. It'll be fascinating to see how self-driving cars affect road rage. You know, will the robots get in fights? Well, <laughs> well, well, there's actually a lot of software in place so they don't. So for, for instance, one is they're a lot more able to anticipate uh, cars that are nearby so there's no accidental brushes of other cars and you know hitting someone from behind accidentally while you're you know on the phone or whatever there's um uh, uh and even for parking they'll they'll adjudicate the two because the cars are talking to each other they'll adjudicate who who fairly earned this parking spot there'll be wow. rules for this built into the wow. software although i did hear an interesting debate about who makes the rules and for instance, uh, 
you've got to program an algorithm if your your electric your self driving car is going down the the highway and there's an old lady and then uh you know a ten year old like which one is he which one is and it's too late to swerve yeah this is a this is kind of a classic uh, uh automated car problem right it's the trolley problem yeah. basically and so who does the electric char, I mean, the self-driving car choose. I have never been in a situation where I'm driving and suddenly, <laughs> out of nowhere, one lane has an old lady and the other one has a baby. That's because you, you don't drive. It happens to me like every other day. Um, well, this has been a lot of fun uh, and we have come to no conclusions whatsoever. Well, what do you think? What do you think? Cars, good or bad? I think, I think cars, good and getting better. Uh, but I think it's worth questioning um, the rise of automation on this first kind of the front line of automation, which is going to be these these truck three million truck drivers that that the country can't afford to have out of work. So so really, the good or bad is going to be. Um, I kind of think the environmental damage, to be honest, is going to stay the same. Automate, you know, except for the fact that there's going to be fewer cars on the road. So instead of 200 million cars on the road, there might be 100 million cars on the road. So that'll help the environment. But per car, I don't know if there's going to be any difference. And uh, on the economy, also on the one hand, there's going to be hundreds of billions or even a trillion dollars in efficiencies ultimately by having self-driving cars and trucks. But we have to be able to take care of the people who are directly and, and going to be harmed by it even as early as five years from now. And so something like a UBI might be interesting, or we'll see if these efficiencies create new industries that will hire these people. But but I doubt it because automation is creeping into all of these newer industries as well. Yeah. I mean, I am also, uh, overall, I'm optimistic about the future of cars because I think the improvements are, on the whole, good, like self-driving cars and uh, and electric cars, which do emit about a quarter of the uh, emissions that... Uh, Although their factories will emit more is the worry. Mm. Right. My understanding was that it will pay off in the end, but maybe that's not that. true. Uh, but anyway, yeah, overall, I'm optimistic about the, the far future. It'll be a bumpy road, to use a, a car metaphor. And uh, yeah, well, now... And I think the pa in the past, cars are probably a good thing as you start off in increasing freedom freedom of choice of goods that we buy and foods that we buy, freedom of choice and jobs that we choose. Uh, you know, unfortunately, probably was a uh, rise in divorces probably is somewhat correlated to the rise in cars because freedom to drive out of the village you live in <laughs> to marry someone else or meet someone else and, and you're not limited to just the people who live a few blocks away. But, you know, ultimately, freedom was probably a good thing that, that cars brought to society. And it's no... It's not a surprise that the country that most quickly adopted cars, the U.S., was is also by far the the largest economy in the world. There you go. Uh, so I've basically I've got to stop taking the subway and start driving more driverless electric cars, and I'll be a happier person. All right. Well, now I'm going to walk home because I want to create a low carbon footprint and feel superior. Thank you, AJ. Oh, 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.